0: And now this is the Son of God. He is Jesus Christ. And he has arrived for you in the promise of your baptism, first of all. But he arrives now. He arrives now in this very word preached for you today. And he will arrive again for you shortly as you receive the Lord's Supper. He comes for you. This is the Son of God. Listen to him. And what does he have to say? Well, he says this, that your false idols are taken away from you. Your sins are forgiven and you are made perfect in Christ apart from your successes and apart from your failures. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, grace and peace be yours. From God our Father and His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The transfiguration as we've heard it Now, today is often described as a mountaintop experience. For one, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the top of a mountain, after all. And so there we have Peter, who who, uh, Jesus has renamed. He was Simon at the beginning of the gospel. Now he's Peter, or the Rock, or Rocky. And then we have James and John, who Jesus renames the Sons of Thunder. And here we can see that Jesus wasn't above having a little fun with the disciples, giving them nicknames and calling them other names. But this was a mountaintop experience not only because they were on the mountain, but also because once they were there, they are joined quite apart from their expectations by Moses and Elijah. Here are the best examples of the law and the prophets, which Jesus fulfilled and brings to an end. But there they are. They are all talking together. Now I know and I have been reminded that Tonight is, it's not only Transfiguration Sunday, but it's Super Bowl Sunday. And there's a big game tonight. And some of you are thinking about this game, pitting two young quarterbacks against each other. You've got Brock Purdy with the 49ers and Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs. Both have unique styles. They both played baseball. Mahomes is thought by some to perhaps become one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. One of them could very well be the MVP of the game tonight. But I want to say, compared to Moses and Elijah, they are nothing. Can I say that? Do you believe me? (laughs) Now, to stay with the football line of thought, Peter, James, and John, when they saw Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah, it's more like them seeing Johnny Unitas or Joe Namath or someone mentioned me last night, I better mention Bart Starr uh, as the heroes of football, those who have a record that is... uh, quite uh, well in the history books and well respected. And you could throw Fran Tarkington in there for good measure. Uh, These are the greats, of course. But Moses and Elijah are not just the greats of a sport, but of the very religion that held Israel together as a people. I should say that we get a foretaste here in this story of the transfiguration of the resurrection that this is what it will be like when we are raised up from the grave We will see those we want to talk to the most, perhaps family members, or perhaps others we've never met. We will be united in Christ. But I want you to know that these religious heroes were much higher than anything we can quite imagine in sports. If they had trading cards, Moses and Elijah would be the most valuable ones. A Moses rookie card or an Elijah rookie card would be worth millions. And the stats on the back would go on forever. For Moses, he turned the staff into a snake. He brought the 10 plagues to free the Israelites from slavery. He parted the Red Sea. For Elijah, he kept the widow of Zarephath alive during a famine. He brought her son back from the dead. He parted the Jordan River himself and was brought up into heaven without ever dying in a whirlwind Along with that chariot of fire, he defeated 150 priests of Baal. These guys are legends. And so Peter and James and John are starstruck by who Jesus is talking to, but that wasn't all, for Jesus himself had an amazing appearance, so white that no one could manufacture this whiteness, Mark tells us. In our day, not even AI or artificial intelligence could produce such an Appearance that Jesus had. And so the three disciples loved being there. Mark tells us Peter wanted to stay there. Even though they were terrified, there was something they wanted to hold on to. But instead of all of the visual appeal, God gave them a word to trust. Not all the trappings of holiness and righteousness. Now when I was in third grade, my mom and dad, along with my aunt and uncle, And a few other families at our church started taking a trip out to Red Lodge, Montana, a little town south of Billings, with a little ski hill up the mountain. And we would go there in March every year, and it was great fun. We would leave Fargo-Moorhead, which was usually a little dreary uh, in March, still pretty wintry, cold. And we would drive west, and it would get warmer and warmer. The snow would disappear, and it it would feel like spring. And we'd always wonder, will there be enough snow to ski on? Of course, in the mountains, there was always plenty of snow, and we would have two and a half days of beautiful skiing, and then we'd have to hop back in the car and drive back down the mountain, back to Fargo-Moorhead. And it always felt a little disappointing to come back, and I often thought, couldn't we just stay at Red Lodge? Couldn't we just stay in the mountains and ski all day after school instead of going back to the flatlands where the cross-country ski trails are a little icy and not nearly as fun as the powder. It was a desire to stay on the mountaintop. Now, I did eventually go out to Montana for college. I got to ski all that I wanted. Well, for the most part, after classes. I had a dorm mate one of the first years I was there who was kind of a hippie-ish kind of guy. And he announced to us in the dorm that at the end of the school year, it was about May, he was going to, that for the summer, hike up into the mountains, dig a hole in the snow, and camp there as long as the snow lasted, and ski every day. This sounded like a wonderful idea. Well, you know what my plan was? Go back down the mountain to Fargo-Moorhead and work in the sugar beet fields. This was uh, my summer. (laughs) But he did that, apparently, and you know what? I never saw him again. He might still be up there, living in the snow cave, skiing. We all want this mountaintop experience and we don't want it to end. But this was not the good news for Peter, James, and John. This is the surprise of the story. For here, God says, beyond this crazy experience that you've had, the bright whiteness, the heroes of the faith, trading cards and all, this is not the good news for you. In fact, Mark tells us that it was in that moment that the disciples heard this voice from the clouds. And the voice said, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And upon hearing that word, all the other trappings of holiness disappeared. And there was only Jesus. And they came down the mountain. Maybe not all the way to Fargo-Moorhead, but back to Jerusalem, back to Galilee. Jesus told them not to tell anyone what they had seen, and they wondered amongst themselves what this rising from the dead could mean. And isn't it the same for us? Our eyes often filled with the trappings of visible glory, our hopes of victory in this world. But God has something better for you. Now, by the way, if you are cheering for a team in the game, you can cheer for the red team, and you'll be in good shape. Or if you're just watching for the ads or the halftime show, or are there for the food, by all means, cheer loudly, enjoy the gifts of this world, and know that there is a word for you, which upon your hearing of it, all the other trappings of glory will disappear, at least by comparison. For Jesus now comes to take away your sin. And as Luther teaches us in the Catechism, where there is forgiveness of sin, there is life and salvation. This is yours. So now you have it, you have this word. And in it, the death and resurrection of Christ. Death itself is defeated. And what a championship that is. It is the ultimate Super Bowl. It is a victory that neither Moses nor Elijah nor any other MVP could win, but Christ has. that doesn't mean we can't celebrate our heroes in this old world. Just yesterday, We had a memorial service for Don Toft. Don was known by many of you as, well, a great man in many ways. Also a great baseball player uh, through much of his life, playing for the original uh, Canaries, and also playing for the Army in Berlin around World War II. There were great stories told of Don's life. He was a hero in the faith for many here in Sioux Falls. But we were able to preach that Christ had him and has him still. Christ has you now and has you still. As Paul reminds us, we do not preach ourselves, we do not boast of ourselves, but we boast of Christ, who gives us this promise. Christ has won this victory, and he does not keep it to himself, for now this victory is yours. You, like the disciples, may still wonder what rising from the dead could mean. You might wonder what this looks like, But now you know, for you are given faith, and you will be raised from the grave. You have nothing to fear. For God's Son comes for your sake. Listen to him, the Father says. And this is his word for you. You have died, and you will be raised. You are forgiven. You are beloved on account of Christ. Amen.